This is Steve Carroll, and you're listening to the InBasic Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about acetaminophen overdose, aka Tylenol or paracetamol. Acetaminophen, or APAP for short, is a component of hundreds of over-the-counter and prescription medications used around the world, and it's the most frequently used analgesic and amperetic in the United States. While acetaminophen is great for relieving pain, its effects can be deadly when taken in overdose. It is one of the leading causes of hospital admission and fatalities from oral poisonings, as well as the most common cause of acute liver failure in the U.S. Therefore, there are many cases of acetaminophen toxicity that we must be ready to deal with. This episode is another addition to the EM Basic Project, and was written by Andrea Sarchi, a fourth-year medical student, now intern in the Air Force, who is interested in emergency medicine. He wrote this script with help from Dr. Michael Passafaro, an EM attending affiliated with the NYIT College of Osteopathic Medicine. As always, this podcast does represent the views of Princeton Department of Defense, the U.S. Army, or the Fort Hood Post Command. All right, so let's get started. As with most poisonings, the patient's presentation and acetaminophen toxicity depends on how long ago it was ingested. If the ingested was less than 24 hours ago, the patient may be asymptomatic and look perfectly normal when you walk in the room, even though they've taken a toxic dose. Even though APAP reaches peak plasma concentrations within an hour of ingestion and is completely absorbed within four hours, it often takes time to manifest clinical symptoms. In some cases, the patient will be vomiting and look lethargic and pale. If the ingestion was 24 to 72 hours ago, there may be signs of hepatotoxicity. This is what we're most worried about when a patient presents with an APAP OD. We'll discuss these symptoms in more detail later on, but for now, let's talk very briefly about APAP's mechanism of action. I promise this will be quick, but it's necessary to understand the process so we can understand how we treat it. When therapeutic doses of APAP are taken, 90% of it is metabolized in the liver by sulfonation and gluconeuration to harmless conjugates, which are then excreted in the urine. The remaining APAP is metabolized by the hepatic P450 pathway into a toxic byproduct known as NAPQI, spelled N-A-P-Q-I. This small amount of NAPQI is detoxified by hepatic glutathione into non-toxic byproducts. However, when toxic doses of APAP are present, more of it is metabolized down the pathway that creates NAPQI, and there isn't enough glutathione in the liver to keep up. The NAPQI then re- reacts with hepatocytes, and this leads to liver injury. The vital signs in a patient with APAP toxicity won't help you a whole lot. The patient may have tachycardia due to stress or right upper quadrant pain, but unlike a patient with another poisoning such as salicylates, vital signs generally don't help much in making the diagnosis. In assessing patients with any kind of toxicity, it's important to try and determine whether it's an acute or chronic exposure, as each one may require a different approach. In the case of APAP, an acute ingestion is defined as one or more ingestions occurring within an 8-hour period. All of their ingestions are classified as chronic. Let's talk now about the relevant parts of the history for these patients. The most important piece of information we must obtain in an acute overdose is how many hours ago the patient took the APAP, since this will dictate the patient's treatment. We also need to try and find out what the patient took and the dosage, whether it was a suicide attempt, and whether there was a single ingestion or repeated ones. You also want to ask if there are any co-ingestions. Finally, make sure to do a complete history and determine whether the patient has any comorbid conditions that may predispose them to hepatic injury. 
In the case of APAV toxicity, examples of such conditions include alcohol use, anticonvulsant medications, and Gilbert's disease. Let's discuss these risk factors in a little more detail. Patients who accidentally overdose with repeated ingestions in an attempt to treat pain or fever tend to have higher rates of severe hepatotoxicity and death than those attempting suicide. When it comes to alcohol use, acute alcohol ingestion is not a risk factor for hepatotoxicity. As for the role of chronic alcohol ingestion, this topic remains controversial. What we do know is that chronic alcoholics do not appear to have an increased risk over non-alcoholics for developing hepatotoxicity after a single APAP overdose. However, chronic alcoholics who have ingested multiple supertherapeutic doses of APAP do appear to have an increased risk of hepatotoxicity. Alcohol acts by inducing the CYP enzymes in the liver, which shunts more acetaminophen through this pathway, and leads to greater generation of NAPKE. So the important point to all this is that we must ask the patient about their alcohol use and the number of supertherapeutic APAP doses. Now let's move on to medications. When questioning the patient about their medications, be sure to ask about other pain medications that contain APAP. Vicodin and Percocet are two examples of such drugs. For the international listeners out there, Vicodin is a combination of hydrocodone and APAP, while Percocet is a combination of oxycodone and APAP. This becomes especially important in the case of accidental overdose. For example, if a patient has a bad headache, they might take several tablets of extra-strength Tylenol. If the headache persists, then perhaps they take a few leftover Vicodin and then some other over-the-counter headache medicine with APAP in it. Before you know it, the patient has ingested several grams of APAP in a short amount of time. At this point, they may present to the hospital with signs or symptoms of toxicity, or perhaps with just the same persistent headache. This becomes especially important in the case of an accidental overdose, since it won't be readily apparent that the patient has had an APAP overdose. There are also medications that worsen the outcome of intentional APAP overdose. Those that induce the CYP enzymes act by the same mechanism as APAP and may worsen the outcome of an intentional overdose. Examples include anticonvulsants such as carbamazepine and phenobarbital, and anti-tuberculosis drugs such as INH and rifampin. Other drugs that may worsen hepatotoxicity include Bactrim, aka trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole, and AZT. There is some evidence that herbal supplements may amplify hepatic injury due to APAP. Therefore, be sure to ask about these in your history as well. Keep in mind that patients who have chronic liver disease and do not regularly ingest alcohol do not appear to be at increased risk of hepatic injury from APAP. The APAP elimination half-life will be prolonged in these patients, but accumulation of the drug does not seem to occur. In addition, cytochrome P450 activity is low in patients with chronic liver disease, so APAP cannot be converted readily to NAPKE. Now let's move on to symptoms, physical exam, and laboratory findings in APAP overdose. The reason I'm going to talk about all of these together is because APAP toxicity is classified into four progressive stages. So to keep things in a logical format, we'll go through the stages one by one and discuss the different findings in each. Stage one is from a half an hour to 24 hours after ingestion. Many patients will be asymptomatic, while others may have nonspecific symptoms such as nausea, vomiting, diaphoresis, or lethargy. Liver function tests are usually normal in this stage. Stage 2 occurs from 24 to 72 hours after ingestion, and this is the time when patients may have hepatotoxicity. During this time, 
the patient's stage 1 symptoms resolve, and the patient appears to be improving clinically. As time goes on, however, patients may develop red upper quadrant pain and tenderness, as well as hepatomegaly. These findings suggest possible liver injury. LFTs may show elevations in PT and total belly, and there may be elevations in the patient's serum creatinine. Stage 3 is when liver function abnormalities peak. It occurs 3-6 to six days post-ingestion, and patients may have jaundice, confusion from hepatic encephalopathy, cerebral edema, multi-organ failure, and increased risk of bleeding. In addition, the symptoms from stage 1 reappear. Laboratory studies may show plasma AST and ALT levels that often exceed 10,000, high ammonia levels, prolonged PT and INR, hypoglycemia, lactic acidosis, and a total bile greater than 4. Anywhere from 10 to 50% of patients in this stage will also develop acute renal failure due to direct apoptoxicity and hepatorenal syndrome. Death from multi-organ system failure most often happens in this stage. The final stage of apoptoxicity, stage 4, is a recovery period for those patients who survive stage 3. It begins any time from 4 days to 2 weeks post-ingestion. The patient will have a complete clinical recovery, as well as complete hepatic histologic recovery, which can take up to 3 months. Fortunately, neither chronic hepatic failure nor any sequelae occur for those who survive an APAP poisoning. Now let's talk about the workup and labs for a patient with potential APAP toxicity. As we discussed earlier, our evaluation depends on whether the patient's ingestion was acute or chronic. Let's begin with an acute overdose. Once we have determined that a patient is at risk and we know how long ago the ingestion took place, we must acquire the serum APAP concentration four hours after ingestion or as soon as possible if the ingestion was greater than four hours ago. We wait at least four hours from the time of ingestion because absorption could still be occurring before then. One thing I'll say here is that if the patient doesn't seem like a reliable historian and you think they could be fabricating the story, then there's nothing wrong with getting an APAP level right away. However, you generally shouldn't treat based on this level, and you must still get a level after four hours. Don't be alarmed about waiting and not treating the patient just yet, because patients who are given antidote treatment up to eight hours post-ingestion have no increased risk of hepatotoxicity. We'll use this four-hour serum APAP concentration to reference it with the RUMAC Matthew nomogram, a special chart that plots serum APAP concentration against time. If the four-hour serum APAP concentration is on or above the treatment line, then the antidote N-acetylcysteine, or NAC, is given. We'll discuss NAC in greater detail later on, but just be aware of the importance of using serum APAP concentration and the nomogram for guiding your treatment. I'll put a copy of the nomogram in the show notes. In addition to a serum APAP level, you should also order a basic metabolic panel to look at serum electrolytes, glucose, and renal function. Massive APAP ingestion can produce a metabolic acidosis, as well as electrolyte abnormalities and hypoglycemia. The patient's pH can be assessed with either an AVG or VBG. You should also order coags, LFTs, and ammonia level to look for signs of hepatotoxicity, as well as a baseline CBC, and of course, a pregnancy test in women of childbearing age. Finally, as in all cases of intentional overdose, an EKG, aspirin level, and ethanol level should be ordered to look for evidence of co-ingestions. When ordering labs in regards to APAP overdose, remember that these patients can be relatively asymptomatic until they present with signs and symptoms of liver failure. 
Since APAP ingestion can be asymptomatic, remember to order an APAP level on all your patients who have overdosed on any substance and those who are found down or have altered mental status. This is very important not to overlook it because it may not be obvious. We frequently get aspirin and alcohol levels in these patients. However, they both have toxidromes associated with them that should make it pretty obvious that you are dealing with an overdose of those substances. That's not true for APAP, so make sure to get that APAP level on any patient who is altered or is overdosed on any other substance. Let's talk briefly about chronic ingestion. The risk assessment is more complicated in chronic APAP exposure, and the treatment nomogram cannot be used. The first thing we should do if we suspect chronic APAP toxicity is assess the patient for signs and symptoms of hepatotoxicity. If they are present, or if you suspect an overdose, the best thing to do is order serum APAP concentration and LFTs, regardless of the amount the patient reportedly ingested. Recall that the risk of hepatotoxicity from chronic ingestion is higher than for a single acute overdose. Once the serum APAP concentration and LFTs are known, you have to assess the patient's risk level. Patients with chronic ingestions may benefit from NAC therapy if they have any evidence of liver injury or an elevated serum APAP. Therefore, patients with a known supertherapeutic APAP ingestion who have significant elevations in their LFTs should receive NAC regardless of their serum APAP concentrations. For those patients with normal LFTs, NAC should be given if their serum APAP concentration is higher than expected for a therapeutic dose. For example, someone on a therapeutic dose of APAP will have a serum concentration that peaks below 30 and falls under 10 at 4 hours. You also want to order all the other tests that you would order for an acute overdose. One test that you may want to add for a patient with a chronic overdose is a lipase level because the risk of pancreatitis is greater in these patients. In regards to pregnant women, APAP crosses the placenta and thus could be present in elevated levels in the fetus. However, the diagnostic approach is the same as with any other patient, and once again goes according to whether it's an acute or chronic exposure. NAC is not contraindicated in pregnant patients. Let's take a second to cover everything that we just talked about. The patient's presentation in APAP toxicity depends greatly on how long ago the APAP was ingested. When you walk into the room, the patient may appear perfectly normal. They may be vomiting lethargic, or they may illustrate signs of hepatotoxicity. This is the finding we're most worried about. The vital signs in a patient with APAP toxicity are nonspecific and usually don't aid in making this diagnosis. We define an acute ingestion as one or more ingestions that occurred over an 8-hour period. All others are chronic. For the history, it's important to find out how much APAP the patient took, the dosage, and the time of ingestion, and whether this represented a suicide attempt. Also ask the patient if this was a single ingestion or multiple ingestions, as well as if they took any other substances or medications, and whether the patient has any comorbid conditions that may predispose them to hepatic injury. Be sure to ask the patient if they took any other medications such as Percocet or Vicodin, because they may not realize that these meds also have APAP in them. As far as the stages of APAP toxicity, in stage 1, patients are mostly asymptomatic or have nonspecific symptoms such as nausea, vomiting, and lethargy. LFTs are normal in this stage. Stage 2 occurs 24 to 72 hours later with right upper quadrant pain, tenderness, and hepatomegaly. There may be small elevations in the LFTs at this point. Stage 3 is when patients are sickest 
and occurs between 3 and 6 days after ingestion. Patients in this stage have multi-organ system failure to include high LFTs, prolonged PT and INR, lactic acidosis, and acute renal failure. Stage 4 is the recovery phase. If the patient survives to this stage, their liver functions will recover over the next few months. As far as the labs and evaluation, in an acute overdose, we must acquire the serum APAP concentration 4 hours after ingestion or as soon as possible if it's been longer than 4 hours. Once the level is known, you plot it on the nomogram, and if the value falls above the treatment line, you miss or knack. Other treatments you should order are BMP, VBG or ABG, CBC, and pregnancy tests for females of childbearing age, as well as coags, LFTs, and an ammonia level to look for signs of hepatotoxicity. As in all cases of intentional OD, an EKG, aspirin, and ethanol levels should be ordered as well. Risk assessment is more complicated in chronic ingestion, and the treatment nomogram cannot be used. If any signs of hepatotoxicity are present, you should order a serum APAP concentration and LFTs, regardless of how much the patient says they ingested. If the patient had a known supertherapeutic APAP ingestion and they have an elevation in their LFTs, they should receive NAC regardless of serum APAP concentration. If LFTs are normal, but their APAP concentration is supertherapeutic, then the patient should also receive NAC. The other tests to order are the same as with acute OD, and a lipase level is added due to the risk of pancreatitis. In pregnant women, the diagnostic approach is the same as with a non-pregnant patient for both the acute and chronic overdoses. Now let's talk about the management of patients with APAP overdose. All patients with suspected APAP poisoning should have their vital signs monitored continuously and be placed on a cardiac monitor. One question that is commonly asked is whether you should use activated charcoal in certain patients. The answer is that it depends. The first step in deciding on whether or not to use charcoal is to make sure that the patient can protect their airway 100% or they're intubated. If the patient is the least bit groggy or altered, don't have them try to swallow activated charcoal. Even in a patient who's wide awake or a patient that's intubated, activated charcoal may provide little benefit but comes with the harm of a nasty aspiration pneumonitis. If you're going to do it, you must do it within two hours of ingestion because there is no evidence to support its use more than two hours after ingestion. That being said, adult patients who have taken at least 7.5 grams of APAP in the last two hours may have a lower peak APAP concentration and ALT level. In my review of the literature, this hasn't been shown to translate into any patient-oriented outcomes, such as death or the need for liver transplant. This is an area where you may want to talk with your toxicologist to see if it's worth it. If you decide to use it, the dose of activated charcoal is 1 gram per kilogram PO, with a max of 50 grams per dose. If there are any toxicology gurus out there who have a different opinion on this, please email me or post a comment on the blog. As we touched on before, N-acetylcysteine, aka NAC, is the antidote and key treatment for those with APAP poisoning who are at risk for hepatotoxicity. NAC is believed to work by restoring hepatic glutathione levels, which allows the liver to rapidly convert NAPGI into non-toxic metabolites. The key to effective therapy with NAC is to start therapy within 8 hours of an acute ingestion, as liver injury is more likely to occur after this point. When NAC is used in this manner, the risk of liver damage is less than 4%, and the mortality rate is extremely low. The onset of liver injury is defined by an elevation in the ALT. There are a lot of indications for NAC therapy, 
so it's something that you should look up if you're considering using it. However, let's quickly go over the criteria. NAC is indicated for a serum APAP concentration four more hours post-ingestion that is above the treatment line on the nomogram. It's also indicated for a known or suspected single ingestion of greater than 150 mg per kilogram, or 7.5 grams total in a patient for whom we can obtain an APAP concentration until over 8 hours after ingestion. Other indications include a patient with an unknown time of ingestion and a serum APAP concentration greater than 10, a patient with a history of APAP ingestion and evidence of any liver injury, and patients with delayed presentations of greater than 24 hours after ingestion with any liver injury. All of these criteria can be difficult to remember, but just keep in mind that we always give NAC if the patient's serum APAP concentration is above the treatment line on the nomogram or if the patient took APAP and shows any signs of liver injury. NAC can be administered orally or intravenously. Both methods are equally effective in the first 24 hours after ingestion. However, once signs of liver failure are present, IV NAC is given because it's the only route that has been systematically studied in these patients. The main differences between PO and IV NAC are in their side effects and durations of treatment. PO NAC has a very unpleasant rotten egg odor and taste, and vomiting is a common side effect. One strategy to make PO NAC more palatable is to dilute it with soda or juice and serve it in a covered container with a straw. If the patient vomits within the first hour, the dose should be repeated. Another approach that may help the administration of NAC go more smoothly is to give an antiemetic such as Zofran or Reglan prior to giving the NAC. For the international listeners, Zofran is Odansetron and Reglan is metoclopramide. With PO NAC, there are rarely any severe side effects. The real downside with PO NAC and the reason why it isn't used a lot anymore is that the entire course takes 72 hours compared to the usual 21-hour course for IV NAC. IV NAC is the preferred route for pretty much all patients. It can cause mild anaphylactoid reactions that cause a rash and pruritus in some patients, and in very rare instances, it can cause a severe reaction. Symptoms of an anaphylactoid reaction typically occur within 30 minutes of administering IV NAC, so be sure to closely monitor the patient during this time. If they develop mild symptoms such as flushing, we can give an IV histamine such as Benadryl, aka diphenhydramine, without stopping the NAC infusion. If the reaction is more serious and the patient develops generalized edema or shortness of breath, then we should slow down or stop the NAC infusion, give a bolus of fluid, and administer IV, Benadryl, and glucocorticoids. Despite such reactions, we still administer the NAC and just need to make sure to follow the patient closely. Epinephrine is rarely required for reactions to NAC. There are different protocols for the administration of the PO and IV forms of NAC, but I won't review them extensively here because the numbers are hard to remember and you won't retain them anyway. I'll put both protocols in the show notes. However, if you want to look like a rock star on an EM rotation, just remember the number 150. 150 mg per kilogram is a toxic dose of APAP, and it's also the initial dose of NAC over one hour. There is a case report of a massive overdose of NAC causing death due to a dosing calculation error, so make sure to look up the protocol and properly calculate the infusion rate. At the end of the protocol, NAC is discontinued if the patient's serum APAP is less than 10 and the AST is normalized or decreased by at least 50%. If these criteria aren't met and there are still signs of significant liver injury, then NAC therapy should continue until they normalize.
For pregnant women, NAC is a safe and effective treatment. It crosses the placenta, and thus the IV form has a theoretic advantage of increased NAC delivery to the fetus. So the IV route is preferred, though both have been used successfully in pregnant women. Before we summarize this last section, let's talk about the patient's disposition. All patients who get NAC will obviously be admitted. If the patient is asymptomatic or they have mild symptoms and they're hemodynamically stable, then they can be admitted to a medicine floor or an emergency department observation unit. Patients who have evidence of severe hepatotoxicity and hepatic failure may need to be admitted to the medical ICU. They require frequent lab studies, neurologic checks, and monitoring of vital signs. If your hospital is a medical toxicologist, then their services should be utilized. If your hospital doesn't have a toxicologist on staff, and you would like further medical advice, then you can contact your regional poison control center for help. Be sure you're aware of the regulations in your hospital and state, as you may be required to report all overdoses to the poison control center anyway. As with any overdose, a psychiatric consult should be obtained when appropriate. Before we wrap up this episode, let's review this last section. All patients with a known or suspected APAP overdose should be placed on a cardiac monitor. Adults who present within two hours who have ingested more than 7.5 grams of APAP may benefit from treatment with activated charcoal at a dose of 1 gram per kilogram by mouth to a maximum dose of 50 grams. However, don't use this treatment if you have any doubts as to the patient's mental status and know that the benefit of this treatment is marginal at best. Remember that while there are many specific indications for giving NAC, the two most important to remember are to give NAC when the patient's serum APAP level is above the treatment line on the nomogram, and when the patient shows any signs of liver injury after an APAP overdose. NAC can be administered orally or intravenously, and both methods appear to be equally effective. IV NAC is used more often than PO NAC due to its shorter duration, and it's preferred when there are signs of liver failure present, or the patient has any contraindications to oral administration, such as vomiting or pancreatitis. The most common adverse effect of oral NAC is vomiting, and several strategies to try to avoid this include diluting the NAC in soda or juice and serving it in a covered container with a straw, or administering antiemetic such as Zofran or Reglan prior to giving the NAC. The most common adverse effects of IV NAC are mild anaphylactoid reactions with rash and pruritus. If this occurs, we give antihistamines. In more serious reactions, we can give a bolus of fluid, an IV Benadryl, and glucocorticoids if necessary. The two protocols for NAC treatment are the 72-hour PO protocol and the 21-hour IV protocol. At the end of that protocol, NAC is discontinued if the patient's serum APAP is less than 10 micrograms per ml and the AST has normalized or decreased at least 50%. If these criteria aren't met and there are still signs of significant liver injury, the NAC therapy should continue. In pregnant women, NAC is safe and effective and should be given via the IV route. In regards to patient disposition, all patients who fit the criteria for NAC treatment will be admitted. Asymptomatic patients or those with mild symptoms can be admitted to a medical floor or an ED observation unit, while those with evidence of hepatotoxicity may need to go to the medical ICU. Finally, a medical toxicologist should be consulted if your hospital has one. Also, don't forget to contact your local poison control center when necessary and arrange for psychiatric consultation at the appropriate time. That's all I have for now on acetaminophen overdose. Thanks a lot to Andreas Archie for providing this script for me. Before we wrap this up, I want to recommend a new podcast out there that you would definitely want to listen to. Foamcast is a new podcast by Lauren Westifer and Jeremy Faust 
that takes a free open access medical education source and reviews the basic core content behind it. It's perfect for anyone who is listening to the EM podcasts and reading the EM blogs who want to review the core content behind all the great topics that are being talked about. I'll put a link to the podcast in the show notes. Also, you may have noticed that EM Basic has a new logo out there. It should be visible on iTunes within the next day or two. Let me know what you think. As always, if you have any questions or comments about the podcast, you can email me at steve at embasic.org. Until next time, this is Steve Carroll for the EM Basic Podcast, signing off.